Hi everybody, welcome to part three of my little life review where I will go linearly through all my favorite topics. In the last two episodes, I have already reported my recent thoughts on science and idealist philosophy. This time I will simply talk about the next topic in the podcast description, which is Buddhism. I will do it again in a jazzy freestyle way, like last time, without using notes and even without a rough plan. I think this always results in a more natural flow of the thoughts, and sometimes I'm surprised by myself how things take a strange turn suddenly, and, and I end up in a completely unexpected place, like last time with the meaning of life. All right, you may have noticed that I have hardly ever talked about Buddhism in my show here, and maybe it was only a single time in the context of meditation, I think. The reason for this neglect is that I had become so very much interested in idealist philosophy and also in non-mainstream science recently that I simply devoted most of my book reading time to these new topics. But before that, I really had a very long interest in Buddhism over decades and I have been reading countless books on this topic. And thinking back, I can now even understand why this was the case. I had still been a materialist at the time, but simultaneously I had this, how shall I say, <laughs> spiritual drive in me. I always believed that there must be some different states of mind, some different relation to the world, which may be healthier than the one that we are practicing here in the West. And in contrast to all other religions, I found Buddhism to be a set of practices, more like a kind of psychotherapy, that helps you to attain these different mind states. And you don't need to subscribe to any strange philosophy. You absolutely can be a materialist and do some, for example, meditation practices regularly. And these two things are completely compatible. It was, of course, precisely this feature of Buddhism which enabled the modern mindfulness movement, where people have simply cut out a very specific type of meditation technique from this huge tradition of Buddhism. They left behind all the Buddhist philosophy and also all these other rules of living a good life, which have nothing to do with meditation. So this compatibility of Buddhist meditation techniques with modern scientific thinking was probably one of the reasons why I was so interested in it. But then, over all these years of reading Buddhist books, my interest has quite consistently shifted from the more modern forms of Buddhism, like Zen, which is a type of Mahayana Buddhism, back to the more original forms, such as Theravada Buddhism. So for me, as also I think for many other people of my generation, the first contact with Buddhism was Zen. I don't remember precisely when this word Zen became part of my vocabulary. I can only say that I was reading this famous novel Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance even before I became a physics student. And this book seemed attractive for me, 
precisely because the word Zen in it, so I must have had some knowledge of this already. And after this, I remember having read lots of books from Suzuki Daisets, who famously has brought Zen Buddhism to the West. Now, one might ask why this stuff was so fascinating to me, and by the way, also to many of my colleagues and, and student friends. I think Zen Buddhism was a kind of healthy counterpart to the scientific thinking mind. It is probably not too unfair when I say that Zen Buddhism is an almost anti-intellectual practice. And this is true for meditation, but definitely also for koans. While in science we are constantly analyzing and modeling our perceptions of the world, we try exactly to avoid this in Zen Buddhism. And so Zen Buddhism was promising a new way of relating to the world. Yeah, exactly what I have been longing for in my spiritual drive. Regular Zen practice could, for example, lead to a more pure way of perceiving the world. A way of perceiving which is not constantly interrupted by thoughts and not so much tainted by our expectations and by our concepts. Again, that anti-intellectual mindset of Zen Buddhism provided a nice balance to all that abstract thinking which I had to do as a science student. But all these books I was reading about Zen Buddhism did not only provide meditation instructions and cite some of these famous koans, but they of course also touched on some philosophical topics. After all, Zen is just a part of this much larger thing called Buddhism. And there is actually also a lot of interesting philosophy to be found. Even the most fundamental notions in Buddhism, such as dukkha or impermanence or dependent arising or non-self, all these are absolutely fascinating topics, especially because they appear so strange and difficult to understand at first glance. And you see, this was another aspect of Buddhism which was resonating with my character very much. I simply enjoyed very much to find such kind of strange, fascinating topics and to dive into them and to really try to understand them using my Western scientific mind, but also using my intuition. So in other words, I like to do philosophy at least on an amateur level. Yeah, and for this reason, I have spent a lot of time in my life of thinking abstractly about these 
core notions in Buddhism. Maybe I should not have done that. Maybe it would have been better to spend more time practicing meditation in koans or whatever. Because, you know, the Zen Buddhists are saying that the deepest truth about the world and our relationship to it is anyway not attainable by an intellectual abstract way. At least not exclusively. It is probably to a certain extent helpful when we develop also some intellectual understanding of what is going on in the world and what the teachings mean that we are practicing. But what counts in the end are these spontaneous deep breakthroughs where we suddenly intuitively get what these teachings mean. And because these are insights that are beyond words, words cannot bring us completely to this point. They can bring us to the shore of the lake, so to say, but then we have to jump. And since these insights typically happen in states of deep meditation, I maybe should have spent more time practicing. Maybe this is a good point for some confession. Because, you know, I'm doing this podcast partly to help you kill your time and hopefully from time to time to get some interesting piece of information. But on the other hand, this mini live review here is also useful for me to see where I'm standing now, how my life goals have developed and played out. And so I want to confess that my meditation practice has made virtually no progress during the past year. I'm still spending the first 20 minutes of each day with meditating and there are no exceptions because if there is anything I'm good at it is keeping my regular habits and practices. But obviously regularity alone is not enough to make progress here. Maybe my level of energy is not correctly adjusted during meditation. I know for example from the Dharma talks of Joseph Goldstein, which you can find in the podcast Inside Hour, that both a too large and a too small level of energy can be detrimental here. So it is surely not helpful if you are fighting, you know, if you are desperately longing for a deeper insight or for a progress. This won't work. But on the other hand, you also shouldn't have a too sloppy attitude. And if I'm honestly looking back onto my last year of meditation, I think I fall into the second category. I guess I was a bit too sloppy. It simply was not so important for me recently to make progress on my spiritual path. I'm relatively content with my present state of mind. I don't feel any hatred, at least not for people. And I also don't think that I'm missing anything which would make me more happy. But then, on the other hand, my day-to-day -day level of happiness is not particularly large. I'm also not extremely unhappy, but I would say it's a slightly unpleasant feeling remaining, which has to do with my health condition, which is not always perfect. 
But anyway, compared with many other people in this world, I'm living a fantastic life. And so I didn't have a very big urge to improve my mind state here. And so when I'm sitting down in the morning in order to meditate, I don't expect anything. And this is also what happens. Not anything remarkable. I mean, one of the books I'm currently reading is from Leigh Brassington and it's called Right Concentration, a practical guide to the jhanas. And the jhanas are these different levels of consciousness that you can attain during meditation. And in this book, Brassington writes that if you are interested to enter into these jhana states, you first need some minimum level of concentration, which he calls access concentration. And a sign that you have reached this level is that your breath becomes very shallow, so you're almost not breathing any longer. And at the same time, even with closed eyes, you often see some light show, so to say. For example, some colored clouds or something. Now, this level I'm achieving almost every meditation session. But unfortunately, on top of that, nothing is happening. I think I have never even entered the first jhana. And not that I am desperate to make this experience. But, you know, from time to time it would just be encouraging to see a little sign of progress. So far, all my little spiritual breakthroughs I had in my life have been outside of the meditation period. So, my mindfulness meditation practice is a little bit stagnating recently, but this is not the only way that I'm trying to learn more about my consciousness. Another approach is dreaming, and in particular I would like to become more proficient in lucid dreaming. So far I had had only a single lucid dream quite a long time ago, and interestingly this happened directly in the night, after a lecture in which, for some reason, I had talked to the students about lucid dreaming. But after this first experience, nothing like that happened for years. And so I tried to increase the probability that it happens again by writing a dream journal. I kept doing this for a while, but in the beginning I had the feeling that my dreams are relatively boring compared to what other people tell me. In particular, my dreams don't involve any strong emotions and also no bodily action, almost. Usually I just find myself in a hotel room and I try to check out 
of the hotel, but I cannot because I cannot find some of the items I'm supposed to pack or because the reception desk miraculously has disappeared. So this is the level of action I usually have in my dreams. Maybe this is because I'm not consuming any novels or movies that contain brutal content. I try to avoid all kinds of violence in my life and even to the extent that I don't read news about such things. So anyway, so this probably helps me to have a relatively peaceful mind, even in my dream states. However, recently I was diving deeper into this UFO phenomenon. And it becomes increasingly clear now that these UFO sightings are almost always also connected to some other paranormal phenomena. If you are interested in this field, you must have heard, for example, about this hitchhiker effect. So, for example, members of the American intelligence agencies have visited this famous Skinwalker Ranch in Utah, where all this unbelievable, crazy, paranormal stuff is happening. But after these agents had witnessed such kind of things, they eventually, of course, returned home. And then, very interestingly, strange things continue to happen, but now far away in their hometown, in their family. Yeah? How would you explain that this strangeness is, is spreading like an infectious virus almost? Well, I can tell you my personal hypothesis. I think we can only experience subjectively what we are ready to believe, what we can metacognitively put into some known category. And so normally we are not ready to accept any paranormal stuff. We just don't accept these things in our modern society here. But I guess once you experience such a thing firsthand, you open up. Suddenly some of your filter mechanisms are diminished and strange stuff can come in more easily. And you know, I think something similar has happened with me. As I was reading several books about these paranormal phenomena, my mind opened up and I took these things more seriously. And suddenly, I think my dreams also became much more interesting, but also more frightening and more emotional. And believe it or not, just yesterday, I had my second lucid dream. Unfortunately, the dream totally was quite long, but the lucid period was only the very end. But still, this is an important achievement for me. I don't know if this is of any relevance to you, but I personally like to hear dreams of other people. So what the heck, I will just tell you what I dreamt.
I remember vaguely that before this dream, I had woke up in the early morning hours. And for some reason, I was thinking of this hitchhiker effect. How scary it must be when something like this is happening. And then I fell asleep again. The dream started in a quite unusual way. I was in a dark room, maybe together with some other person, I'm not sure about that. But somehow I was aware that in the neighboring room, separated by a wall, there was sleeping a woman who had a terrible nightmare. Or maybe it was not a nightmare, but a strange state of consciousness in which she felt the presence of some terrifying phenomenon. In any case, she was screaming, screaming in terror and fear. It took a quite long time and I could hear everything through this wall. But the strange thing is my reaction to this. My normal impulse would be to somehow help this woman, right? To, to wake her up, to relieve her from this stress. But instead I was just passively listening to these terrible screaming sounds. And I was really suffering with her. I also felt this fear and helplessness. But after a while, a strange thought came to my mind. I thought, this is the price you have to pay if you become more open to these paranormal things. This openness can not only create fascinating experiences, but also terrible ones. And I asked myself, do I really want to pay this price? Had this mainstream scientific mindset not been a kind of nice protector against these terrible things? Anyway, this part of the dream ended here and suddenly I found myself together with a small group of other people on some larger public space, somewhere in a city. Maybe it was a parking lot without cars. And the context was that some hostile forces were invading the city. So it was a kind of war situation and it was just a matter of time until these forces would arrive at this public space. Anyway, I was sitting together with these other people on the ground of the parking lot, leaning against some wall. And I don't remember precisely what I did or thought during the waiting time, but eventually some, something happened. We could see some, some people approaching, and a little bit later suddenly stones came flying towards our direction. So we immediately stood up and ran away. But suddenly in the dream, the small group of people I had been with had been replaced by a huge number of thousands of people streaming, densely packed, in the same direction, away from these uh, hostile forces. But I decided to go in a different direction. It seems I always try to avoid the mainstream, even literally. And this was the end of the second part of the dream. In the third part, I found myself hiding under a table. This table was rather large and when I was crawling out under it, I realized that this was not inside a house but outside in a garden. 
And when I finally stood up, I saw an old, very nice, castle-like big house. Very well kept. And the atmosphere was like in a luxury hotel. And indeed, suddenly I saw in the distance another person, a kind of butler, who was putting a tablecloth on another table. So now it was clear to me that this must be a hotel and I don't belong here. Because I had just escaped these hostile forces and probably this table has just been a temporarily hiding place. So I didn't want to be detected by this butler and so I carefully avoided his sight and went out into the garden in a different direction. So this had been the third episode of my dream and soon I arrived in some more remote natural area. It was a large, slightly rising meadow of wildflowers. And then I suddenly realized how incredibly detailed this scenery was. There were so many of these colorful flowers, each of them in a different shape and with countless details. And whenever I focused my sight on some of these details, even more finer details became apparent. And suddenly I knew that this was a lucid dream. The three parts of my dream, which I mentioned before, that had led to the situation here, they had not been lucid. I was just passively experiencing what happened. But now I had some degree of control. And I felt enormously happy that I had this rare opportunity now to explore the state of consciousness. So immediately I decided to do some tests. I had read from some more experienced lucid dreamers that the subjective experiences you have in such a dream are so detailed and they have such a high resolution and they involve all the senses that this cannot be distinguished from our waking state. And of course, I could not resist to immediately test this hypothesis. I got down onto my knees, selected out one of these many flowers and came very close to it. And I really could see even now the very fine details of this flower. And when I touched it, I had <laughs> the exact typical touch of a flower. And I found this really amazing. How can our mind produce all this coherent information? How can it create a whole world so effortlessly? Finally, I was standing up again and started walking uphill this meadow. I was walking now in a kind of groove, so there was basically only one direction I could walk. And at some point, some small rock was in my way, maybe the size of a soccer ball. And I had to step over this rock in order to continue my way. But as I did so, I suddenly had the feeling, oh, this now was a little bit easier than it would be in actual life. When I briefly stepped on the stone, I didn't quite feel it, feel its hardness through my shoes as I would do in the actual life. And so I thought, okay, maybe there are some differences between the lucid dream state and wakefulness. 
And very regrettably, this immediately ended my lucid dream. 